In today's episode, we're going to talk about overcoming adversity, trauma, and building a real estate investment portfolio. Let's go. Welcome to the Russell Westcott Podcast, helping real estate investors like you acquire the inspiration, knowledge, and skills that you need to start, grow, and scale the real estate investing portfolio of your dreams. Hey gang, how's it going? Russell Westcott, welcome back to the podcast. So this should be episode 96, unless I added another one in between. And if I added another one in between, forgive me because I'm, I am always try to over-deliver. So let's hope I'm, when I recorded this intro to this one, it was episode 96. So guys, welcome back to the podcast. This one is going to be a story that you're going to come back to. Just an unbelievable story. I thought I knew all the details of this story until I had an opportunity to really sit down and one-on-one, kneecap to kneecap with Naran. And we had this wonderful uh, conversation and it was at a hotel room out in a hotel out in Brampton. I think it was actually in my hotel room. I think even the housekeeping knocked on the door a couple times. We Lots of interruptions, planes were flying over by. So it was just, it was a wonderful conversation. I set up these two chairs in the hotel room, had the three cameras, you know, had things stacked up on pillows and, you know, lights were a little bit of a challenge. You know, sometimes you just got to do what you got to do and you just got to get her done. And I'm glad we got her done because this conversation that we had was a fantastic one. We talked an awful lot about how Naran found himself coming to Canada. The backstory on why and how they first immigrated to Canada is just one of those ones. It's just like it's the more we dove into it, the more mind blowing the conversation was and the story. And you think you have troubles. Right? You think you have a challenge that, uh, you know, the bank interest rate maybe went up a quarter point and $15 increase in your mortgages across per $100,000. You think that's a challenge. Just wait to hear what Naran had to go through in order just to survive, in order to be able to immigrate to Canada. And then also once he got to Canada, the stories that he shared about how he had to overcome the grit, the resiliency, how he was able to just make this work. So this is a deep one. Um, We talk a lot on Naran's background. We talk about how a trauma, a motorcycle accident, you know, first of all, almost ended his life, but also caused him um, a brain injury that he truly had to reinvent himself. He had truly had to teach himself how to read and write again. Uh, We talked a lot about how he buys his properties, his raising capital strategy. We talked about, you know, embracing fear. How do you embrace the fear and still move forward? How do you structure things with integrity so that all parties win? How do you lead others? And most importantly, how do you lead yourself? And you know what? One of the things that came across in this one when I was we were doing this re- recording was grit and tenacity was something that I made a note. I went back to my notes here and I'm looking at them. And you know what? He has some amazing insights, just pure grittiness and tenacity. You will come back to this one often. Okay, gang, so make sure um, this is going to be another two-part interview series. It was actually four parts 
broken into two. If you listen to the, you know, couple episodes with Brian Pullis, I gave you a little bit of the backstory of why it was four video interviews broken into four parts and the reasons why. And now this one on the podcast is going to be two parts. So it's going to come out this week and then the week after will be the final two episodes. Okay, gang, with all that being said, let's just get right into it. Please help welcome to the podcast, Naran Kulathungam. Okay, everybody. So welcome back. We are doing another interview of the uh, Standing on the Shoulders of Giants interview here. And first and foremost, uh, before I get into my formal introduction, I wanted to welcome Niran. Niran Kula Thungam, right? So welcome, welcome here, Niran. Good to Thank see you. you. Good to see you. Awesome to be here. How long has it been? It's been quite a while since we, in person, how long in has it been? In person? Two years. Two years. Yeah. Yeah. And we've talked. We've we just, talked a couple times on the phone. Yeah. We just reconnected again. Just, yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, so guys, as you know, what we do in these interviews is just people that I know that have touched my life in many different respects. I always want to just get, I want to get some of the story and I want to go deep and go, I'm going to go back into the story. And so Naran and I were talking about uh, getting together and we were talking about, okay, I'm going to be in Toronto this time. And you got time. And so I've, I've ghetto arranged my hotel room. So we're in my That's hotel right. room. So yeah. let's not have <laughs> anyone talk. Let's not have anyone talk here. We're, yeah. Naran's up in my room. <laughs> and I just wanted to get this conversation on video here and just have just a, a wonderful dialogue because there's an incredible story here. And now the best way I can introduce you is with a story as a starting point. So first and foremost, my wife says hi. Kareen says yes, hi. Yes, hi back to Kareen. Um, and it's actually a good segue into the story. So here's the story. This just will show the essence and the heart of this man. Is uh, I was delivering a workshop with Barry McGuire, and this was probably about five years ago now. And I get sick once every five years, maybe. Okay. Okay. And so I'm sitting there, and I was deathly ill. My wife and Kareen was with me too, and I was deathly ill. I couldn't even get out of bed. I was in the hotel room, sick as a dog. And Kareen in a city, didn't know anybody, had no one there. And Naran offered to help my wife. You never, you'd never met Kareen, had you? Had no, never I had met not. her. No, right? I never and met. you had offered to drive her to the hospital, to a drugstore, to get her oh, some medication. Yes. To, do you need my car? <laughs> what do you need? You know, what do you need to help you support Russell? Because yes. he's sick, right? And, um, that touched me, like to, for somebody to go out of their way to that extent, to offer that much support and help for somebody you didn't even know. You knew me, but you had never met my wife, right? That's right. So that just is the best way I can describe who you are as a person, is really it's just that kind of depth of helping and giving and of service of who you are. So thank you for that. Well, thank you, yeah, Russell, yeah. because I, I honestly, it's kind of normal for me. Yeah. Right. And yeah. so it's, but that means a lot that you remembered oh, that. It's, I funny, it. it's funny how <laughs> sometimes the things that we think that are just the normal course of living yes. our life it touches other people. You just never know how you touch another person's life. That's right. Ever, yes. Ever. All right. So so now that we've got all the good feely stuff out of the way here, yeah. we're, we're actually, we will talk about some real estate because okay. you guys, this story that uh, Naran is going to dive into, and we're going to go really deep into it, is incredible. But before we get into your how you got into real estate story, I don't know a lot of the way back story, like way back little Duran. <laughs> like, okay. like well, why don't you give everybody some context of where you, you know, where you're from and sure. what uh, some of your upbringing was and, and what led you up to 
you know, let's go pre-accident. I don't mean to give it away, but the pre-before sure. accident. Sure. Okay. okay. So I was born in Sri Lanka. Right. At the age of around seven or eight. Mm-hmm. I was seven years old. We all came to Canada for a period of five years. Right. Until I was 12 years old. My dad was doing his PhD at McMaster at that time in Hamilton. We went back to Sri Lanka. And then all my teenage years was in Sri Lanka until I was about almost 18. Okay. Then we came back to Canada. What was, what was it like in, in Sri Lanka? Yeah, what was that like? It was uh, bittersweet. Yeah. Beautiful country. Yep. Loved the country and the people. But the time period that we were in, the second time we were there, uh, a lot of civil unrest, rioting. We could spend a long time on that story. But in a mm-hmm. nutshell, what took place was people were out to kill us. Yeah. Death threats on the family. We had to hide for about two weeks, we actually stayed in a hospital that our church there uh, ran uh, in the middle of nowhere. We lived in a city called Candy. Mm-hmm. Candy was, uh, you know, a city kind of like the size of Hamilton kind okay. of a thing. Okay. And then when we went to, uh, during the rioting, we ended up staying in a place called Fridsro, in a place called Bokavala. It's a big, long word, but it's yep. a tiny village surrounded by jungles. And uh, there was a hospital there that the church ran. And even there, there were death threats on us and mobs came to kill us. They ransacked our house. Uh, and I remember at that time, if my memory serves me correctly, my dad got a set of tickets sent to him by one of the professors from McMaster University yep. and also for another set from our church that we went to in Hamilton. Okay. And their instruction was, get on the plane to my dad, Lyman. He said, Lyman, get on the plane, come to Canada, we'll look after you. Yeah. And I still remember my dad calling us together and saying, if we leave now, we are leaving when our country needs us the most. We are not going. And we stayed. Right. And they used to smuggle my parents into refugee camps to do counseling and then smuggle them out. So your, your parents would do the counseling, do not the be counseling. counseling. Not be counseling. <laughs> right. They would do the counseling yeah, yeah. and then they would be smuggled out. Yeah. And so it's a whole story. I don't know how much in depth you want to go into that. Well, but here's the thing. Yeah. I, I believe in a lot of these things shape who we are as people. Oh, absolutely. And yes. we'll go as deep as we need to go. Like, okay. this is this is some of your time. So if uh, this is an opportunity for you to maybe on a camera and uh, something that, to get some of this story out that maybe has never been told. First and foremost, I'm yeah. fascinated. I'm, 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 I'm going to learn this, right? <laughs> because I'm a, as you guys all know, I'm a firm believer in it's not just the real estate. It's who you become in the process yes. of owning real estate that makes the difference, yeah. right? So really, how do you think that shaped you as a, a young child of having to fear for your life, if you will, growing up? Uh, it caused a couple different things for, yeah. for me. One is that it made me quite resilient. Mm-hmm. I think I'm a nice guy. Yeah. But when push comes to shove, and if you put me in a corner, I'm going to come out swinging kind yeah. of a thing. And so when I saw all that happen around me, it creates in you this tenacity mm-hmm. to say, bring it yeah, kind of a thing. Well, if you uh, think about it, it could actually have, it could have went a different direction. It could have went that you could have been a victim and you could have been, you know, angry at everything and you could have been paranoid and fearful and all that kind of stuff. It could have went that completely direction. It could have gone that, that yeah. direction. It didn't. Yeah. Uh, one of the reasons I think it didn't is because we went, um, there were two races, mm-hmm. and uh, th- there are fringe groups within yep. each race that were fighting each other. Yep. But in our church, 
that we went to, the two races were in, in harmony. Mm -hmm. uh, in fact, we were protected by the other race. Mm. And then certain events happened. For example, um, I'll tell you one short story. Yeah, we were in this uh, church orphanage and hospital that I spoke about earlier. Yeah. And that was mainly the hospital staff, doctors, about 120 orphans, because there was an orphanage there, mm -hmm. and the staff there, and the pastoral staff, yeah. and my parents, and the director of the hospital. And certain mobs in that area, people had found out that some Tamil people were being protected here. Mm -hmm. And so this gang of men had decided they were going to come and burn the place down. Yeah. So the small nearby village had only two police officers. The two cops stopped by and they say to our leadership, uh, I was 16 years old at this time. Mm -hmm. They say to the leadership there, there's nothing we can do to stop this from happening. We can't protect you. This is the time your faith and your faith in Christ has to help you. Mm -hmm. And they left. <laughs> the hand of God is the only thing that's going to protect that's, you. Yes, pretty much. <laughs> and now keep in mind that this was a time in the country where if you were the wrong person at the wrong time, yeah. you would get clubbed to death or you would get set on fire by using, they would pour gasoline on you and set you on fire. Uh, my uncle's dad, for example, got beat to death. He was in a hospital after a heart attack. And when he found out about the um, rioting, uh, the hospital staff had all fled, plugged himself from the machines and the, and the IV, mm -hmm. caught a cab. The cab wouldn't let him out any further. It would take him only so far. He started running, ran into a Hindu temple for protection. They came in and beat him to death. So that's what's going on in the, in the country. Wow. Um, Holy moly. <laughs> so, so when we had this happen, we were a small group of Christians mm -hmm. within the whole thing. And uh, within our church, what we decided we would do is we would pray for peace. Mm. And we would fast and pray. We would go without food for three days and we would fast and pray. Now, when you're 16, not eating for an hour is a big ordeal. Exactly. When you know you're going to die, protocol goes flying out the window. Yeah. And everybody just buckles down and does whatever needs to be done. Yeah, it's, uh, holy moly, that's... I didn't even know where to go. I did not know all this backstory of this, yes. right? Okay. Yeah. And, and quite honestly, um, compared to what the whole journey into real estate is going to talk about, that's actually kind of a walk in the park compared to, <laughs> compared to what you had to do as, as growing up. Yes. Okay, but, but let's talk further about that. So what was the impetus that brought uh, your dad to Canada to do his studies? And then the next question is, how did you feel as an immigrant coming into Hamilton at, and, you know, and a complete yes. culture shock and different things like that? So two lines there for you. So let me wrap that story oh, up sorry, because please, it, yes. it'll actually help yeah. me answer the question that, you, that you're asked. Thank you. My dad already had his PhD at that time. So yes. we were back. I was in my teenage years. Yeah. He was a prof at the university there. Yeah. And when that mob came to attack us, yeah. they did not step into our land. Mm. And that same night, we had some incredible events happen. I won't go to it today because I don't know how deep you want to go there. Hey, but... let, let's, let's go. Okay. No, please do. So what took place on, the, on that night that this mob was arriving yeah. is we were all praying. And uh, in the Pentecostal Christian tradition, there's this idea of moments where God breaks into people's lives and gives a special message. Mm-hmm. And on that night, 
there was a message like this. And the message was, my children, why are you so scared? A thousand will fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand. It will not come near you. That night, the mob came. They did not step onto the land. The next day, the two cops came back to see what was left of us. Right. They parked their Jeep. It was a army-type Jeep mm -hmm. in the front of the gates of the thing and said, this is the safest place in the country for us to be in. And they stayed there. We ended up, we turned out that some of these guys who had come six months later, a couple of them converted to Christianity and made this amazing statement. They said, we formed two mobs. One group was coming from one side. The other was coming from the other side. We could not cross on one side because there was a forest fire. And the other side, we stepped into the land and we felt fear and we could not go there. So when those kinds of things happen mm -hmm. in the midst of huge uncertainty, mm -hmm. it creates for me, it, what it did for me is it created this feeling that no matter what happened, no matter how bad things got, yep. that God and I together could do this. And so what it, in, even in real estate and everything in life, when stuff goes wrong, it's like, all right, what are we going to do now? Yep. And so it created in me the sense of calling mm -hmm. to a higher purpose and to see people not as they are, but as who they are intended to be. Wow. <laughs> it hit the nail in the head. Is How much context does that put into? So guys, if you're sitting there and you maybe got rejected by a bank and the bank didn't give you financing. It's or, or something like, like, like seriously, yeah. put it into context. Yes. Right? It truly is. Holy moly. What a wonderful story. So what did lead you to come to Canada? So right? a, a while later, yeah. about a year of things had settled down in the yeah. country. My dad was back at university and uh, he came to us and he said, you know what? I believe our time has come. We are going as missionaries to Canada. Normally, the West sends missionaries to the East. Yeah. This was flipped around the other right, way. Right, right. And uh, we came to Canada as landed immigrants. I think we were the only family after something like 20 years to come into Canada without sponsorship of a blood relative, mm. based solely on my dad's academic credentials right. from the country of Sri Lanka. Yeah. And even to get here was very difficult. They did not want us to leave. Right. And so because of that, we couldn't even get to see the Canadian ambassador. Mm. So special instructions had to be sent from Canada to the Indian consulate to instruct the, the Sri Lankan powers yep. that they have to allow us to see the Canadian ambassador and uh, stuff like that. And, you know, there was always roadblock after roadblock. Yep. I was diagnosed, my dad and I were diagnosed in the process with holes in our heart, completely bogus yep. because it slows down the process of application. Who did that? Like, you had to have a physical physical. Like, and they put on there that you had the, the, both heart my problems. dad and I yeah. have a hole in the heart. Oh, jeez. And that means everything comes to a stop. Yeah. Now we get into a waiting list to see a heart specialist. He clears us. Mm. So we only, you only have one year in which the process has to be completed. Yeah. Otherwise, you end up at the start of the line again. Wow. So that whole thing. And so we had to walk through all that. And there's mm -hmm. tons of stories there I could talk about. Yeah. But we ended up uh, immigrating to Canada. And I remember when we left, it was in the middle of the night. Nobody knew we were leaving. Mm. Nobody could know to protect our own families. Yeah. We left. And I remember my aunt's brother 
he drove us in a Jeep that looked like an army Jeep in early in the morning, like three in the morning, I think, to the airport, dropped us off and we got on the plane. I still remember sitting on the plane, Russell, and watching my parents grow younger. Just some of the, the, the weight probably just weight as the yeah. higher the, that plane until the plane took off. Yeah. They looked like they had aged. Yeah. And then as the plane took off, I, re- I still remember yeah. because we weren't sitting together. Yeah. My brother and I were ahead on the right side and they were back a little bit to the yeah. left. Yeah. I remember kept looking over at them and I remember seeing as the plane took off and it got higher and higher, they got younger. Wow. And that just, I, I'm a firm believer in how much our environment shapes who we are as people. Yeah. Well, two things is sound like the environment you grew up absolutely shaped the man who you are today. Absolutely. And it's probably given you more gratitude than ever of what you've now come towards. Yes. And just, wow, that, that, what a story about how you can actually physically see your parents getting younger as you, they left that situation. Yes. Right. And uh, when we came to Canada, we had nothing. Yeah. Uh, we had a couple hundred dollars couple suitcases. Did you have a place to live? Did you have... didn't have anything. You didn't even we, have shelter, food, nothing. We landed here and Bethel Gospel Tabernacle was the church in Hamilton and they yeah. played a key role in us entering Canada. What time of year did you land? I can't remember. I'm just trying to think if it was winter compared, to, winter, winter, leave, compared to leaving Sri Lanka to come to... It wasn't winter. Okay, good. It wasn't winter. I think it was in the fall. Okay. And I'll tell you why. Because the church we went to Bethel yeah. uh, in Hamilton Mountain... They, uh, Ken Charles was the, one of the board members. He picked us up and yeah. we stayed at his house for a few days. Yeah. And that Sunday we went to church and my dad kept looking at the paper and saying, Hey, we could rent this place here. And it was way down on Barton street and you yeah. know, rough area of Hamilton. Yeah. And uncle Ken, or I call him uncle Ken. He would say, no, no, Lyman, you don't want to live there. <laughs> and that Sunday we went to church mm-hmm. and uh, after church, the board of the church took us out for lunch. Went to lunch. And then when we got out, we thought we were going back to Ken's house. Instead, they said, we just have one stop to make. So all these cars went and we ended up on a street called Shadyside Drive on Hamilton Mountain. Townhouse complex. We get out and then Pastor David Shepard, he uh, takes a set of keys and he turns around to us and he gives the keys to my dad. And he says, Lyman, that's your house. The rent's been paid. The fridge is full. Wow. We walked into that townhouse and even my room had a motorcycle poster in it. Oh, wow. It had a chest of drawers. It had a bed. Everything was looked after. Wow. And that allowed us to get our feet under and gave us time to find employment. Yeah. Wow. How much did you guys feel, you know, and I'm not saying this is Mm -hmm. bad in one situation, good in another, but... How, you know, almost like felt like the country just wrapped their arms around you and said, welcome, come to Canada and, and welcome to Canada. And here's your entire community and church. And as opposed yes. to trying to club you to death, yes. they, right? no, no judgment against yes. what you left. But yeah. I imagine it would have probably would have brought a tear to your eye of just feeling the warmth and support of what you, you had. The same warmth and support I yeah. felt in Sri Lanka yeah. within my church community. Right. Okay. So it was although the, the environment was hostile. Yeah. The community was very similar. Right. Okay. That felt the same to me. Yeah. However, here, the community environment was so much right. Got it. Uh, nicer. But Russell, I remember walking into that house, mm-hmm. and um, I hope I can tell the story without crying. Okay. How's that? Okay. okay. 
We're all standing at the front uh, in the foyer. And David Shepherd turns around and says to my dad, he says a prayer, a blessing for us. Yeah. Then my dad prays. And I was just 18, I think, 17 going on 18. Yep. My dad prays and he says, Father, you've given us this and you've taken away. Whatever happens, even if what we have now is taken away from us, I will still serve you. And for a 17-year-old boy mm -hmm. who was full of, you know, wanting to fight something. Yeah, a little bit of anger and rage. Yes. Yeah. That broke me. My dad's prayer at that time because the humility that he had. Mm -hmm. And so, Russell, I think that too, you know, you talk about environment. Mm -hmm. I notice I don't drink coffee at Tim Hortons that much. Mm -hmm. But when roll up the rim is on, mm -hmm. I stop by Tim Hortons a little bit more. Right. And we're all winners until the rim goes up. Yeah. And it says play. But, you know, when you buy a lottery ticket, mm -hmm. even if you bought it, everybody thinks they're a winner until yeah. you, you scratch. But to live in Canada is to have already won by rolling up the rim. Wow. To live in Canada, the environment is such that you've already won the lottery ticket. Yeah. What you can accomplish in this country is not a result of environment. Mm -hmm. It is a result of your capability to just reach out and take what's yours, right. what's within grasp. Wow. Well, and then you said something you touched on too, and what I'm going to do here too is uh, mm -hmm. I'm going to reset the cameras here very okay. soon. So we're just going to take a real quick short break. Yep. We're going to come back. But one of the things you said, and we're going to touch on next, is you talked about community. Yes. And that's one of the things that I've been very, very conscious and mindful of building this community of real estate investors is it is about the community. It's about the village all supporting each other because this journey can be hard. And Absolutely. it's nowhere as difficult being a real estate investor as what you just described in your upbringing from Sri Lanka, but it can be hard in its own way. It's mentally challenging. It's lonely. There's, you know, lots of frustrations and things like that. Mm. And, and that's why we have this community of where we all can come together and reach out and need some help and support and all those wonderful things. So, so guys, I'm going to just do a real quick reset of the cameras and we're going to be back right after this with Naran. So welcome back, everybody. I'm back here with Naran. So you know what? I almost consider you like Madonna. It's just to call you, just call you by one name, right? <laughs> Yes, Naran. but I have to practice. It's Kula Thungum. Kula Thungum. Thungum. Yes, Kula you got to sound a little bit tribal. Thung. I got to come more that's from right. the diver. Yeah. Thungum. Yeah, Kula that's... Thungum. Uh, the, the funny thing is that if you say the name correctly, yeah. it means, I believe, beauty of the race. Okay. But if you say it incorrectly, it means all kinds of naughty <laughs> things. So, uh, well, don't, I don't want to get it incorrect. So, <laughs> Kula thung. I'm going to I got that. Right? We almost have to do like a little bit of a, yes. a, a, a tribal a dance or something there too. Right. So, so um, if you guys uh, saw the first part, Naran and I are, have just went deep into his his upbringing and, and backstory. And I did not know all that. I knew a little bit mm -hmm. of it. And I knew who you are in the context of being a real estate investor. But I didn't know who you are in context as the man sitting yeah. in front of me. And thank you for sharing that. That's oh, incredible. And, and quite frankly, I think there's a few more layers of onion to go underneath that as yes. well. But um, I do want to talk about, because I think this will shape our conversation around real estate, is coming into Hamilton. Yes. Um, and as an, an immigrant person, were you accepted in the school? Was there, and I'm not going to put words in your mouth, but was there any bullying? Like, how did that happen while you were, uh, when well, you were first it's, here? It's funny. The first time I was in Sri Lanka, yep. from the time I was 7 to 12, and I went back to Sri Lanka, yep. I had to fit into the Sri Lankan community yep. there. And I found that challenging. 
Oh, so you found it more challenging to go no, back. Not oh, more, yeah. but it was challenging. Okay. And then when I came to Canada, I had the same challenge as well. Mm. And yeah. I think the mistake that sometimes we make mm -hmm. is that when immigrants come to this country and there's a challenge, we break it down into racial lines. Right. And it's not. It's more tribal lines. It's social mm -hmm. groups. Right. So when I came to Canada the second time, I was told by my buddies that uh, the school I went, I went to a private school in Sri Lanka, mm -hmm. the Trinity College. And uh, when I came back, some of my friends told me, they said, oh, Naren, you, you go to Canada, there's going to be gangs, you're going to get beat up. Right. Okay. Because their idea of Canada was what they had seen on the movies. Right. Right. So uh, I remember one friend of mine saying to me, saying, Listen, you're going to get beat up. Just remember to break one guy's arm, and then the next time they'll think twice about coming after you. Okay. So the first day I go to school, and Such I Such good advice. <laughs> I am nervous as anything, right? And I walk in, and I'm walking down the hallway, and I'd never been in a school. Mm -hmm. Like, it was a high school, and, you know, lockers along the side. Yeah. And people all seem to know which locker to go to and yeah. what to get out. And I'm walking down, and a friend of mine's sister was there and she turns around and she goes, Naran, oh, I've been looking for you. I knew you were coming to this school. Come on, let me take you and show you everything. Nice. And the next thing I knew, I was just one of the boys. Right. And you didn't have to break anyone's arm. I didn't have to break anybody's <laughs> arm, nothing. Yeah. <laughs> so none of that. Yeah. So I ended up having, doing some more high school here. Yep. They made me retake grade 12 here. Okay. Even though what I did in first year, first and second year university is what I'd done in high school in Sri Lanka. Uh, okay. <laughs> right. So I did that. And then my dad was a prof at McMaster University. Mm -hmm. Then he decided that he was going to go full time with a Bible college in Peterborough. Yep. So we moved to Peterborough. Yep. And we moved there. Yep. We were renting a house at the end of my first year of university. We didn't have enough money to buy our own home. Mm -hmm. So I decided I was going to go tree planting. I did too. Best okay. university job. Oh, best <laughs> yeah. university job. Yeah, you right? you, you learn, you learn having all that time to think. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. And it's hard work. Ten cents a tree, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, it's, exactly. yeah. it's a lot of work. Yeah. So I worked for three and a half months yep. planting trees. Came back with more money than I knew what to do with. Yep. Turned around to my dad and I said, here's 5000 or something. I can't remember the exact number around there. Yep. Uh, gave him some cash. And he had cash and my brother. And we pooled all our money. And we bought our first property nice. in Peterborough. Well, so you essentially did almost like a joint venture at like that time. Like a joint venture, yeah. yeah. You really think exactly. about it. Exactly. Yeah. And we lived there. I did my undergraduate degree in chemistry biology. Yep. Uh, worked as a chemist for a lab operating under, out of Trent University. Yeah, yeah. And then landed a job with Coca-Cola Foods in their quality control. Okay. Uh, they actually offered me a full paid scholarship to do my master's in science in uh, food processing. Okay. And I thought, food processing is so boring. Forget that. <laughs> okay. And I yeah. turned that down. I went to Bible college for one year yep. and did what they did, all the theology they do in four years. Yep. I did it in one year. Right. Just did a crash uh, yep. program. Then from there, I went to McMaster University okay. and did my master's in divinity in theology. Yep. And uh, after that, I uh, church planted. I'm an ordained minister. Yep. I uh, church planted with, so with me and a buddy of mine, Started a church for the Pentecostal Assemblies yep. of Canada. Uh, two of us. 
So church planning would be the best place. You, you founded a church or you just you set up a new church in a different area? Is that kind of... Pretty much, mean, yeah, yes. Okay, yeah. We went to an area where... It's exactly it known, as it sounds. As you I, planted yeah, a, planted a church, church in a different like area. Okay. It's known as an area where churches die. Yeah. We went there, uh, two of us, and we met, started meeting in somebody's house. Mm-hmm. We grew that little thing to two, about 250 people, yep. bought a building, and uh, did that. I had a whole pile of OSAP loans that were following me around, mm-hmm. and I was approaching a point of burnout. Mm-hmm. So I quit from there. And then OSAP I, is student loans? Student like loans, student yeah, loans? yeah okay. for my yeah. master's degree okay. and my undergraduate degree. and. Yeah. You know, I ended up in meeting the, these people, uh, a friend of mine now, mm-hmm. uh, David Snell Building Services, and he had a, a renovating company. Yep. And he said, I'll give you a job. Why don't you sell windows for me? I said, I know nothing about windows. He said, drive around in my truck for two weeks. You'll learn everything you need to know. Okay. So I drove around with him for two weeks, started selling windows, became literally the VP of the company, mm-hmm. so to speak. I, so you really learned a, a very valuable skill. Yes. Like how to sell. Right? How to sell. As, as a good skill set, yeah. Um, and I'd done a lot of sales before, yep. too. I'd worked as an advertising Well, I'll tell you, and, just selling for your life and, and yes. just the resiliency of that and putting a church into a place that churches go to die. You yes. have to do a lot of, you know, <laughs> yeah. potentially have to do some selling there, Yes, right? that's right, yeah. Nice. And so I ended up making enough, a lot of money there mm-hmm. to pay off my debts, and we bought our first home. Right. And then I became a professor at an adjunct faculty member at Master's College and Seminary. Okay. Uh, I ended up becoming the associate dean for one of their departments. Then I ended up becoming the dean for their department. And it was at that time that I had my motorcycle accident. Yes. Okay. Well, so before we do get to that that Mm -hmm. point, um, because that was another one of those pivotal moments here. So you weren't really into real estate yet up to this time. You you know, you had the family house, you had bought your own first uh, married? Married, yes. Married at the time? We were married. Canadian? I got married in 1996. Yeah, from a lady from Canada? From Canada. Yeah, yeah. Gloria, yes. Um, Children at that time yet? No, No, at the time of marriage, no. No. Do you have Do you have children now? I do. I yes. got two boys. Two boys. How old are they now? Thirteen and ten. Oh man, crazy guys. So, <laughs> so when we would have first met, there would have been the ten year old probably wasn't even in the picture yet, was it? Uh, no, Russell. Probably... The first time I heard you on stage, yeah. it was right after my accident. Shortly yeah. after, I would my he would have been about just under a year. Yeah. Wow. Very cool. Okay, so wow, what an incredible backstory. So that's just the back backstory. Yes. Right. So talk to me about this motorcycle accident because that's one of the an absolute pivotal moment that happened in your life for multiple different reasons and could have went different directions uh, there. So so share that story. With sure. Us, At that point in time, I was the the dean of the school. Yep. Or one well, of the high academic. You had high esteem. You were regarded yes. your big man on campus, right? A big man on campus. <laughs> yeah. uh, there were four of us. Yeah. There, each department. So I looked after yeah. what's called intercultural. Yeah. So I for masters intercultural Bible college. Yeah. And we provided all the undergraduate degrees mm-hmm. within cult, contextualized for different cultures. Yeah. So we were in seven or eight different cultures. Yeah. It was just not just language translation. It was culturally contextualized. And what took place was that at that time, I felt like I had landed. Right. You arrived. I arrived. I was in the center of my calling, uh, the will of God for my life, the center of where I was meant to be. Yeah, you were in flow. This is what you were meant to do. And you're just, you're probably just, you know, you were just ramping up. I was ramping up. And when I was hired as the dean, I was the only candidate without a PhD. Wow. And I was told they they would give me the job, 
but they would give me one year to get my feet under me. Yeah. And after that, I had to enroll in my doctoral program. You, you, so you were the dean. At what age was that at? Oh, uh, 40. Okay. So fairly young for yeah. that type of position. So yes, I, I was yeah. the youngest on yeah. the yeah. campus, I think. Yeah. It was not just about the teaching part. Yeah. I could impact future leadership. Nice. And so a leader that's of leaders. Where, yes. That's yeah. where I felt I was in the, yeah. my right space. And I was on my way to a board meeting or a lead team meeting, which was uh, the president, vice president, and the four deans. And I would normally ride my motorcycle in. Yep. And then I'd change it to a suit that I would have in, in yep. the office and off would go. So I was sitting about three blocks from my house, a red light on my Kawasaki 900cc Ninja. Oh, nice. Beautiful motorcycle. Pardon the term, crotch rocket. Yes, yes. absolutely. <laughs> Goes fast. Yeah. Red light, I'd come to a stop, and I was wearing full, like, upper body was yep. full racing gear. Yep. So people could see me coming. I, you yep. know, I was Kevlar body armor and red yep. and white. And yep. I remember stopping at the stoplight. Where then, was this at? This was on Kennedy Road and Glidden in okay. the city of Brampton. Okay. And I stopped. I remember seeing a police car across from me, mm -hmm. waiting yep. as well. Then having this thought, why is my bike still moving? And trying to kind of like reach for the front brake and I'm going, I'm like reach for the clutch. And that is all I remember. A lady came up behind me. According to her, the sun was in her eyes. She did not see any lights. She didn't see me stopped. She hit me doing over 60 kilometers an hour. Wow. And you were stopped. I was stopped. Yeah. I went straight up in the air and she hit me so hard that my motorcycle, instead of being straight, bent. The, the frame literally bent, yeah. right? I went up in the air. At least this is what I figured out after. Yeah. I went up in the air. My head broke her windshield. And when she stopped, I got thrown back out. So, because so then the car would have stopped and then you would have got thrown, the thrown back out. out. Yes. Wow. I don't remember anything about the accident. Mm -hmm. I vaguely remember somebody shining a flashlight or something in my eye. And someone saying, sir, you've been in a motorcycle accident. I also remember seeing that at one point the sides get really dark and then everything just shutting off. I woke up in a hospital. I remember now people were asking me, do you know what date it is? And I'm going, date. Yes, I do. That has something to do with month. What does the word month mean? Wow. And I couldn't remember. So you had a fairly serious brain injury. Yeah, they didn't yeah. know it at that time. Okay. And so what happens, I remember Russell sitting in the, um, they'd done x-rays and found out there yeah. was nothing broken other than a broken leg. Well, that's good news. Yes, that's, that's good, good news. Yeah. And then I was sitting in a like in a stretcher in the hallway, mm -hmm. and there was a male nurse on the side. And I remember coming to, and I remember sitting up and saying to him, I have a son. His name is Jason. I have to teach him the periodic table. Hydrogen, helium, lithium, beryllium, boron, carbon, nitrogen, oxygen, and just rhyming off all the elements. And then I remember just lying back down and just don't remember anything else again, right? Okay. Then what took place was uh, they told me my wife and my parents were at the hospital. Mm -hmm. I remember telling myself, Naran, you got to get your stuff together, man. You got you to pull this. And that pulled me out of my fog. Yeah. They sent me home that day. The day of the, the accident? The day of the accident. I got sent home with a uh, head injury protocol. Yeah. I'd get woken up every two hours. An upper body injury. Upper body injury. <laughs> and a cast on my leg. Okay. And I remember they telling me they had to come, I had to come back in three days to check the leg because they wanted to make sure there was no internal hemorrhaging. Okay. Uh, my family doctor at that time told me to get off the pain meds as soon as I could because yeah. I was on codeine three, you know, Tylenol threes and a whole bunch of yeah. naproxen and narcotics. Bad stuff. Right? Yeah. So within two weeks, I came off of that. 
But what I found is that when I came off of it, I still couldn't function. So I remember friends of mine all said, we're coming over to see you. Mm -hmm. I remember them calling me saying, hey, we're running a few minutes late. Can you order the pizza? I called pizza pizza three times and I hung up on the lady because I could not make the decision of should we have pepperoni or mushrooms on the pizza. It was too big of a decision to make. Wow. I was diagnosed with uh, what's called a mild traumatic brain injury. Mm-hmm. Um, it sounds a lot more than a mild one. <laughs> yeah, when they say mild, it means there's no internal bleeding. Oh, okay. That's okay. all well, it means. Okay. <laughs> okay. So as a result of that, I could not process new information. My long-term memory was still intact, yep. but new information, I could not codify what was happening mm-hmm. and put it in storage in my mind. Okay. So I would have a conversation with somebody, and five minutes later, I would start the same conversation again. Wow. I had to learn how to read at a grade three level right? and work my way back up again. So you had everything you had previous, you still had, right? I still sort have. of, sort yeah. of. But anything you would take in, like, you know, if we were going, like you just said, you couldn't make a decision. You couldn't, no, couldn't you couldn't make a decision. You, if I told you an address to a place, you, it, you it was too stressful. You, I couldn't you wouldn't be able to get there. Think about it this way. Yeah. The best way for me to explain it is, mm-hmm. let's say you're listening to hip hop music, yeah. country music, pop music and classical music yeah. and it's all playing full volume at the same time right. and somebody tells you to dance right what, what do i do what do i do right yeah. so uh, that's what took place yeah. so i could not remember and uh, i remember my cognitive therapist at one point mm-hmm. i had enrolled in a phd level course at mcmaster at uh, uft because yeah. i wanted to test to see how i was doing mm-hmm. so i did this and there was a textbook to read And as I read it, I would work with a cognitive therapist on this. And she would ask me to explain what I read. And I would tell her. But Mm -hmm. what I was doing was I was just BSing her. Because of my prior knowledge with science, this course was on neurology and the existence of the soul. Mm -hmm. So it was a science meets philosophy, religion uh, course. And, real uh, page turner. Real page turner. Awesome. <laughs> and it, it was great because I, I, when you say page turner, see, I go, yeah, it's a page turner, but uh, I, I, I get your joke yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she clued in that I was making stuff up. And she you were hiding it. You were I was hiding it, yeah, right? Yeah. And without even me being aware of it, because I pick up a word yeah. here, and because of my prior knowledge, I would link That's the ideas together. That's the only together. dot you could connect. That's right. 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 So, okay. So we were at the Mississauga Main Public Library. Yeah. And she walked over to the magazine rack, picked up a home and garden magazine, yep. and she turned it and had me read an article on tulips. Yep. I read two paragraphs. She asked me questions I had no idea. Mm. She said, from now on, you have to read stuff that you've never read before. So I'd mm. always want to do real estate. Yeah. So hang on, before you talk about mm. that, because um, that's a pivotal um, how did that make you feel at that time? Like, I would imagine it'd be just tremendous frustration and anxiety that would be there or did you just not even know how to process that like it just wasn't even connecting the dots like how, were, how were you feeling at that time so there's multiple feelings going on yeah. uh, on one side of the coin there was this huge sense of lostness yeah that something that was not just dear to me but that i'd lost a part of who yeah. i was yeah. i remember sitting with a um, neurologist and they had done a 3d mri color mri of my brain mm-hmm. And he pulls out these scans and he shows me the scans and he says, see this here? This is dark. This is dark. This is dark. Mm -hmm. It's showing up on the MRI, which tells us that it's still, it's not dead tissue, but it's dark. It is not functioning. 
Right. Okay. And I'm looking at these pictures and I'm going, this is how I feel. Yeah. There are parts of me that seem all of a sudden vacuous, like a vacuum, like it yeah. does not exist. So that, that sense of lostness was going on. Yeah. I also had lost the sense of calling in my life. It had just gone. Mm. It's, it's kind of like if I took this pen and I said, here's the pen, yeah. and then I removed the pen, yeah. that pen does not exist. Yeah. That's how I felt. It right. was just not there. Right. At the same time, what I did have going for me was my history mm-hmm. with the way I had grown up, yep. with my family, and with my faith. Mm-hmm. My parents, my mom is the kind of person, she just says, I can do anything. Right? She oozes so much confidence on my behalf that I can't help but show up. Yep. <laughs> right? Yep. Yep. So I had that going for me. My, yep. my parents were very, and my family, Loria, my family was very supportive. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, there was this huge sense of lostness. So wow. I didn't know where I belonged anymore. So lost... You know, a little probably from frustration. Yes. Right. Very angry. Angry. Yeah, I would imagine angry. And and probably just um, it wasn't like the broken leg that you put a cast on. It gets healed. Is having a brain injury probably nobody could give you a straight answer, and you just didn't. You you knew you were broken. Yes. But put a cast on it and let's fix it. How do we fix this? Right. It must have been. Well, I remember doing three days of testing with a whole group of psychologists and clinical psychologists and neurologists. And they called me and Dr. Moore was her name. She called uh, me and Loria into the office and she said, he doesn't, said to Loria, he does not understand, pointing to me, Mm -hmm. how serious this is. Right. She looked at me and she said, you will never work again in your life. Wow. She said, you may be able to teach a course here and there. You will never manage anything. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, I would imagine a part of your identity, you're very well educated and an academic. Yeah. I imagine a lot of your identity was wrapped around between this year and yes. this year. Your your mind oh. was your greatest asset, and that was part of your identity. You were known as the professor. You were yes. known as the person that had the answers. You were known as the, the thinker, right? And now that's gone. And it came from a family of thinkers. Yeah. Of, so it was just like... I like playing sports, yeah. but I was never good at it, yeah. right? I was never good at those things. Yeah. But academically, yeah. I knew that I could, even if I disagreed with my own point, I could argue circles around people. Yeah. And you uh, could think your way through it. I could think my way through it, yeah. Right. Holy moly. So you had to essentially learn how to read all over again. Yes. And then that's where real estate yes. came into the picture. No, sorry. Do you want to complete that story first? No, just, uh, just that reading. I could read. Yeah. I just couldn't remember what I okay, read. Okay, right. So you had to learn so how to process, process information. the information yes. coming in. So my doctors wanted me to start at a grade two level yeah. and or grade three level. And Tom, cat. Yes. Tom and then remember what I read. Yeah. <laughs> and I was too proud for that. So mm. I started with Calvin and Hobbes. Yeah. The comic books. <laughs> so, well, there you go. Have you ever? Who, who is the author of Kelvin and Hobbes? What's his name? Oh, that'll come to I me. I can't remember. You should. You should send the the author of that a, a little I know. A little thank you note about it. The funny thing is, my two boys remind yeah. me of Calvin and Hobbes. Okay. One's Calvin, the other's Hobbes. So <laughs> you're having to start over. With in many respects, there's an awful lot of just you had everything you had, but really there was a demarcation in your life that yes. anything going forward, you weren't connecting the dots. Yes. Right? And that process of trying to connect my previous life to yeah. my present life yeah. is still ongoing. Right. I haven't arrived yet. Mm-hmm. 
So now that you look back at this, and we will get into the conversation mm. about real estate, now that you look back at this, how do you relate to your accident now? How do you feel about it now as we sit here 12 years later? That's a good question. Yeah. Well, let me ask another question before while well, you're thinking that mm. you can process that too. Have you ever had conversations with the lady that hit you? Never. Never? Never even seen her. What would you say if I was her sitting here right now in front of you? Oh. Um, what would you say to her if she was sitting here? I would say what happened. Yeah. I'd want her to tell me in her own words what took place. Yeah. Because I believe that the way forward is always take responsibility. Yeah. Yep. And the art of speaking about it mm-hmm. is, in a way, taking some ownership. Yep. At the same time, I would say to her, have an awesome life. How yep. can I help you? I hold no, absolutely no animosity towards yep. 100% her. 100% forgiveness. Yeah. Right? Yep. yeah, because I struggled with forgiveness, mm-hmm. but my anger was not at her. Mm. My anger was more at God. Mm. Okay. Right? Than her. Right. So really it was a, and I'm not putting words in your mouth because yeah. I want you to tell me in your own words, but it, I maybe heard that that accident maybe was a turning point to question absolutely. your faith yes. and, and actually maybe a strength in your faith. Yes, absolutely. Right? So maybe you've had a moment to reflect on that. What has that accident meant to you now? It has changed the trajectory of my life yep. as I had planned it. Okay. It has meant that I've had to come to terms with accepting that. Mm-hmm. And I do not like accepting things like that. Right. I don't. And so while it's been forced on me, at the same time, I have the choice Mm -hmm. to fight it, accept it, or leverage it. Right. And so I have chosen not so much to accept it, but more like to somewhere between accept and leverage. How's that? If that makes sense. In some ways, I still struggle with why did this happen? Yep. And the answer of, you know, everything happens for a good reason. Yep. I don't buy. Like I personally, I, I find it philosophically and theologically weak mm-hmm. in its uh, presuppositions. It's, it's just doesn't hold water for me. Yep. However, that it happened. Now I have the choice to use it yep. for the benefit of myself and those around me. Right. And that's the choice that's totally within my control. Wow. Awesome. Awesome. Right? So what I'm going to do, I'm going to do, guys, I'm going to quickly reset the camera okay. here. But trust me, I promise we're getting to real, we're getting to <laughs> we're real getting estate. To real estate. No, but here's the really cool thing. is All that <laughs> is an unbelievable, important conversation to lead up to how real estate fits into all this, too. Yes, but it does. I, as we've talked about many times, it's more important about who you become in the process yes. of real estate as opposed to the buying of a property or doing an investment or doing a big deal. It's about who you become in the process. Yes. So we're going to be right back. Just going to do a really quick reset of the cameras and be right back, everybody. So what did you think about that? Wasn't that crazy, crazy backstory, crazy story about how Naran literally, you know, the one part that they were sitting there fearing for their life, it was like, you know, I think what was the quote? I'd have to remember the exact quote was, if you believe in your maker, you might want to make peace with him tonight. Right, Because they were literally, you know, fearing for that they would not be able to survive another day. Now, 
<sighs> Guys, if you're feeling you're having some challenges and some obstacles, you know, what's the old saying? There was a, a saying out there, I think I read it was a meme that was, you know, I once felt sad that I had no shoes until I met somebody who had no feet. Okay, I'm not here to just have a downward spiral of comparing each, each other's stories and which is more sad, sad, and sadder, right? I'm here to just say, put it into context, Put it into the context. If you're having a bad day, there's probably something that went well today. If you're having a bad streak of transactions, or you're having a bad streak of not getting your offers accepted, or you're having just a bad streak of things, there probably was something that went well. And if you guys remember from probably about three or four episodes, I talked about the book, The Gap and the Gain. Hope to have an exciting announcement upcoming with a very special guest from that book. But if you remember the gap in the gain, always take a look at, you know, your progression, where you've progressed and measure backwards. A-M-B, always measure backwards. Measure backwards of the progression. Even if it was just like, holy moly, today I just got through it. That was a win. Every day at the end of the day, stacking those wins upon each other, stacking those wins to make sure that you have a better day tomorrow. That's one of the things I'm doing as part of my um, a habit that I'm trying to incorporate. Two things. Number one is I'm making a commitment not to have device or cell phone in, before bed in the bedroom. So it was getting to be a bad habit for a better part of the last couple of years where I was watching YouTube videos or I was listening to something or I was, you know, just mindlessly scrolling through something on the scroll holes of things. And I was not getting a good night's sleep. So I've made a commitment that I'm going to, you know, phone is going to be away. It's actually going to be two, a floor or two away from me. No more phone in the bedroom at night. And the other is making a commitment more so to recap the day. Take the last hour of the day to make sure I've recapped the day, make sure I've compiled what the wins were for the day, make sure I've talked about and had um, articulated and journaled all the successes for the day to set myself up powerfully for the next day. And I used the high performance planner to do that. You know, I would true 100% full transparency. I was very, I'm very good at looking at the start of the day and planning the day and having my power list, have everything very well planned out. But I was getting a little bit lax, a little bit lapse at the end of the day of recapping the day. So making a commitment to clean that up. And I'm sharing that on my podcast to encourage you, if you don't have a process or a routine at the end of the day to recap your successes, to review what went well, to think about how tomorrow is going to go, pre-rehearse your success for tomorrow. Okay, if you don't have one of those, now is a good time to add that to the routine. Okay, gang, have yourself a wonderful day. And you know what? You know, you thought I was going to miss it, didn't you? You were thinking, because I was going to wrap this up. But you know how we end off each and every one of these podcasts. Remember, in every interaction you have with another person, always, always, always leave them feeling inspired, encouraged, and always come from a place of love. Bye for now, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Russell Westcott Podcast. Before you run off, could you do us one final favor? 
Wherever you're listening to this episode, we encourage you to leave a review, share with your friends, and subscribe so you can receive the latest episode to keep you feeling inspired and encouraged for the entire week. Visit www.russellwestcott.com for more information, support resources, and upcoming speaking engagements near you. Bye for now. Bye for now.